Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and I'm very happy again to have Broderick Chavez on the podcast, The Evil Genius. Um, we've just been discussing and he's been having some awful weather, so he's kind of trapped inside potentially with lots of snow, um, but hopefully not that bad. But we've got him on the podcast again, um, which I'm really, really happy for because we're going to be delving into some topics that are kind of really hot topics at the moment and i think you guys are going to really enjoy this episode so how are you doing broderick how's everything going i I am well i am well and before anything let me say uh thanks for having me back i always enjoy this and i always appreciate the opportunity to uh as i've come to be known to say uh not talk to myself (laughs) so i i do appreciate it and thank you Awesome. Right. We're, we're delve straight into it and we're going to what the kind of going to be the overarching topic of the entire podcast, I guess, is the, the high carb, low fat mass. Um, a lot of people have heard about this. They know kind of I'm doing it currently. Um, Mike Isretel has been running it for a while and he kind of has said that you're kind of the founding person who put him towards doing this method. Um, and we were just discussing how it's kind of nothing majorly new. And um, I think a lot of people do think it's something magically new. But if you want to kind of delve into kind of why high carb, low fat when we're massing, what's kind of the reasoning behind it? And then I might pick and choose some questions from what you then go into. Absolutely. And um, you actually worded it just right. You know, I turned Mike specifically onto it. But let me be enormously clear. I don't want any misconceptions. I don't want anybody sending me hate mail. This is not my idea. This is not new. I'm 46 years old, and this you know precedes me by decades. This is not my creation or something I'm going to hang my name on. Um, now, do I agree with it, endorse it, use it? Well, absolutely. That's not the question. But that's like you know going to your doctor with the, with an illness and him giving you an antibiotic and you. Th- you know, thinking he invented it. No, he's just the guy that prescribes it. Don't be an asshole. So I, I really want that to be clear. I don't want any uh, misconceptions about the, 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 the originality or, you know, any of that. Uh, not that any of this stuff is, quote, owned, but, you know, um, a lot of the ownership concepts really turn out to be kind of negative, you know, uh, at least in my, in my, my thinking. So, it's definitely not a new concept. And as far as this idea, like that, it is even a concept that it's a strategy that, and then there's these others. Um, I don't even see it that way again as a, as a root education and as a root practitioner, I'm a biologist. So you study how things actually work cellular metabolism, behavior of the creature, etc. And it becomes incredibly obvious that the energetic pathways of a biological creature, particularly mammalian and above, is powered by glucose. So the, 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 the argument essentially dissolves. Yes, your body can turn fat and protein into glucose, but it has to do all sorts of metabolic gyrations to accomplish that. Whereas you could just eat fucking glucose. Uh, an example, and, and it's maybe a bad example, or not bad, it's actually a great example, but it's, it's off topic and something people wince at when you talk about. But for instance, World War II broke out and the United States didn't you know, join the fight, didn't join the fight. Then we finally did because of Pearl Harbor. The first thing the United States did, and poorly I might add, but that's a separate subject, was we attempted to bomb 
the oil fields of Ploeshti, Romania. And the thinking was, much like carbohydrates, oil is the fuel for this war machine. If we destroy the oil, ability to acquire oil, it will curtail the war machine. So we finally actually failed a bunch of times because we sucked at the time. But anyway, we accomplished it. We bombed the hell out of the oil field. And much like my analogy to ketogenics and other varieties of, of, of diets, the Germans simply went through the metabolic gyrations to create oil from coal. It wasn't efficient. It wasn't their first choice. It wasn't even a good idea. But since it was the only idea, they did it and it fucking worked. Would they have rather just got oil and went about their business dominating the world? Absolutely. Same thing here. You can make all kinds of arguments and you could tell me about deamination and gluconeogenesis and all this shit. And the reality is you're right. It will happen because biological creatures have one overriding necessity, and that's not to die. So they have all these redundant abilities. But that doesn't change the fact that the first choice, the easiest and cleanest choice, is just to eat the thing the body actually wants, which in this case is glucose, carbohydrates, C6H12O6. That's it. That's your answer. So the, the, the overriding theme here is we're just cutting out unnecessary steps. Minimize, although get absolutely adequate volumes, minimize the other substrates to the amount needed, keyword needed, and then supply all additional fuel for growth, activity, etc. from the easiest, cheapest, cleanest fuel, and cheapest we'll come back to, carbohydrates. And, and, and that's it. Now, there is some actual clever, like, biological athletic reasons that I really think that's a good idea. I'll co cover them in a couple of seconds. But that's the fundamental aspect here is it just comes down to efficiency. Mm -hmm. All of these fuels will do it. Yes, you always read from the ketogenic asshole. Dave Palumbo will always point out that, you know, there's Inuits that live on nothing but you know, fish scales and whale blubber. And yeah, they do. But that's because they live in a shitty place. If you move them to the fucking equator, they would eat fruit because it's delicious. Just stop. It's just, it, I, I really, the part that's frustrating about this is one day I'm going to have a fucking stroke in front of some ketogenic asshole, and then, you know, headline's going to read, you know, crazy steroid maniac dies in front of, you know, vegan, you know what? That's, and, and, and everybody's going to go, oh, yeah, I knew that shit was bad. And, ah! I'm sorry. <laughs> I know you didn't call me to get yelled at, but, gee, oh, fucking Allah, be merciful. It just, it's really, really bloody frustrating. Okay, so I think I can make via that and any of my other rants, the relative argument that it's the cheapest, cleanest, easiest avenue to acquiring energy. There are some upsides. There are some downsides. The ups radically outweigh the downs. One of the downsides is taxing any pathway consistently. Anyone, your immune system, your, you know, rubbing something on your skin, you tax any system sufficiently long enough, you will cause irritation. It's not an argument. It's Dr. Hans Seal, the stress reflex. 
It's 100 years old. We all know it. So, yes, everyone out there is going, you know, you're eating carbs over the long term. You're going to downregulate your carbohydrate, this thing, and your insulin, that thing, and your, some other things that they don't even know about. And they're right. But there is nothing you can put in the hole under your nose that isn't over time going to erode some pathway. So if we're going in the attitude that all of them have a vague downside, let's go with the one with the most upsides. Let's talk about that. Okay. Of the three macronutrients, only one causes an acute hormonal response. You eat fat, roughly speaking, nothing happens except you get fat. It goes to fat places. You eat protein, there is an argument for a vague response, but if, it's, if it even exists, it's very low. The, the, the hormonal response in general. Everybody will tell you that, oh, glutamine and this thing and that thing's you know, insulinogenic. Yeah, it is, but like one-thirtieth as much as carbohydrates. It's not an enormous response. And you would have to eat a really big volume of that to get a hormonal response. So by and large, there probably is one, but it's, it's not enormous. Then, other side of the coin, eat a carbohydrate. Name one. I don't care if it's the slowest oatmeal in the world, or if it's some goofy hybrid corn referred to as waxy maize, or it's cyclodextrin, or it's fucking table sugar, uh, you know, it can be titty milk. I don't care what it is. You, you consume a carbohydrate, you get a relatively acute response from hormones, plural. Insulin is the major one, but insulin has secondary pressures on almost every hormone in the body, including, and people forget this, sex hormones. So, you know, insulin directly influences the uh, available volumes of binding, sex hormone binding proteins in the blood. Uh, I can walk you through that because I actually find the logic really clever. But nonetheless, it, it, it affects a very significant anabolic hormone being insulin. And then damned near every other hormone that you would want to talk about in reference to athletics. So, you know, everybody and their brother is well aware that hormones, steroids, and their their counterparts have a big influence on sports performance. Through very simple logic, we just isolated one food, food group, that's directly, unequivocally related to those hormones. Really, the conversation could end there. We don't actually have to talk about this anymore. Mm-hmm. No response, no response, some response. If that was money or sex or any other thing that you were interested in, which one would you choose? <laughs> I, 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 again, I know that I'm radically, almost belligerently oversimplifying this, but it's because it's actually that God. Damn, simple. It, 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 no, you know, I, if there's three choices and one of them makes you more money than the other two, which one are you going to choose? I think the, the well, okay. I, I mean, one of the things I've definitely heard before, um, and it's probably not far off being a fine recommendation, and I might even recommend it myself in that so long as you're hitting your protein, kind of you're getting sufficient protein every day, you're getting sufficient calories every day, the difference between your kind of carb to fat ratio isn't going to have that much impact and some people might even well some people might argue fats would be better i'm not exactly sure why and after hearing your argument i don't think they have much to say on that 
Um, but some people might argue that it would make no difference. And is this just because it's the lack of apply, like there hasn't been studies on that specific thing and you're kind of more going along the, you know, the biology behind it. So theoretically, it's just going to span out to be that way. Um, well, keep in mind, and I'm going to deviate just a teeny bit here. Keep in mind, most of the studies that anyone references are done on middle of the bell curve, relatively speaking, normal people, or even worse, pathological people, people that are obese, yeah. people that have diabetes, people that the last group in the world that people that science really wants to study is healthy, normal, athletic, you know, which actually at this point in time isn't even normal. But, you know, you and I are the last people that are interested in studying because we're not sick. They don't have anything to offer us and we have roughly nothing to offer them. So I'll awful, awful lot of these studies that get referenced are, relatively speaking, out of context. You know, talking about the behaviors of a very high-performance car to your grandmother that just wants to go and buy groceries really is falling on deaf ears. Yeah. And that's the problem here, is we, not me, but we as a demographic of athletes forget that we are, relatively speaking, removed from clinical medicine. We're doing something different. We're doing it for different reasons with different modalities and, 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 and our response curves are different and on and on and on. So there's, there's a big problem there. So these studies in general do show that there's relatively no difference between a macro ratio once calories are fixed and basic nitrogen is met. Everything else is pretty much fair game. Keep in mind, the average person is supposed to eat about 2,200 calories. Mm -hmm. They have almost no muscle mass. Therefore, they have average, which to bodybuilding concepts is pathetic, <laughs> insulin responses. You know, they're, you know it, it's like talking about the, the RPM, you know, curve in your, you know, you go. Like, uh, you and I, we don't get, I don't give a fuck. I don't even know what it is and I don't care. It's not enough to get me excited. Yeah. <clears throat> so that's the problem with studies. And uh, yes, over and over, they do find that there's really not a big difference. And to be fair, even in us, the difference isn't night and day, 100%. Yeah. It's not like, oh, if you do it my way, you'll get three times better results. No, that's not, you know, before I started working with Mike Isratel, he was 230 pounds. Now he's 245 pounds. You know, so top of the food chain, great genetics, great work ethic, great finances, great everything. We made a 5% improvement. Now, to somebody at that tier, 5% is a big fucking deal. Yeah. But mathematically, it's 5%. It's not that big of a difference. So, again, everything needs to be in context. Everything needs to be presented in its actual legitimate state. And that's it. So, now... As I said, studies do show not a really big difference, but here is the difference as I see it. One, other than meeting necessity in terms of nitrogen, more protein has no more benefit. And everything above whatever you need, which is clearly above what the Joe average public needs and all that, you, you know, your grandmother can get away with, you know, one gram per kilogram 
I think the US RDA is actually 0.8 grams per kilogram. And honestly, that's probably even enough. You know, if you have no activity, no muscle mass, and no plasma hormones, yeah, what are you going to do with protein? You're not, it doesn't, it's no, has no purpose. Okay, as you move up the food chain, there's clearly a cutoff. My good friend and absolute brilliant thinker on the subject, Lyle McDonald, would consistently tell you that it's between two and three grams per kilogram, probably depending on your hormone levels, which really is code for drug use. Right. You know, drug using people can get away with two grams per kilogram, natural people probably up to the three, maybe even a shade beyond in the really exceptional case. And that's roughly your range. Anything beyond that, we're going into those, uh, you know, Nazi Wehrmacht gyrations just to convert that back to glucose and do something useful with it. It's just not be, it's not like the body goes, oh, we have more protein than we need. Put it in the bicep. No, it doesn't <laughs> work that way. It just doesn't work that way. And interestingly, that exact goofy childlike logic applies to fats. Yeah. The problem, if you will, and it's not really a problem, but it becomes a practical problem, but it's not a biological problem. And that's key. With high carbohydrate diets at large is you, by definition, do not have a deficit in energy. Okay. It, it, you know, you just don't have a deficit in energy. That's the, almost the point. The problem with that is, is fat in nature largely is an energy source. It's a long-term storage energy source. Much like people want to use the word storage with insulin, and it really is nothing to fucking do with storage, at least directly. Insulin is a regulatory hormone, mm -hmm. not a storage hormone. Okay, Fat, on the other hand, is actually a storage substrate. It's what your body does with it. When you cut a carcass open and look, all that white area that's fat, that's stored energy. Okay? It, it, I, again, I'm not playing with the words. I'm not using any clever tricks here. There's no sleight of hand. You can look this. You can buy a book, swing down to the library if you actually still have them in your land. You can just fucking open a book and read it. It's real. If you can't read, somebody there will probably even be kind enough to read it to you. This is not a secret, folks. Okay? Fat is a story. People, oh, well, you know, fat's used in the manufacture of cell membranes and fat's in the manufacture of hormones. and all of that's accurate. The problem is what they don't tell you is it's a goddamn thimbleful. All of the fat involved in manufacture of everything in your body, you literally it you can put it in your hand. It's it's that much. Wow. It's it, it's nothing. I mean, it's not nothing. You actually can get into a fat deficit. You can you can if you're on a deserted island abandoned by humanity. It it can happen. It's real. But in the Western world, it's not real. It doesn't happen to anyone, ever, ever. So we're in a situation where if you absolutely have a calorie surplus and it's completely covered by the clean, efficient fuel glucose, every single gram of fat you eat above your necessity, which we've decided is very, very low, is in fact very viable for your body to just store as fat. So. To some degree, that argument plays out in every scenario. Low-fat diets almost always tend to be the less fat-retensive diet in general, but especially in an environment where there's lots of glucose, 
And then there's absolutely no need for long-term storage. Because again, people want to talk about, you know, oh, insulin stores fat. Insulin facilitates the entry of anything from your blood into a cell. Anything. Glucose, amino acids, fatty acids, salts, poisons, anything that's in your blood gets into a cell easier in the presence of insulin. That's accurate. However, what they fail to tell you is the translocation facilitator between fat and fat cell is absolutely nothing. Fat cells, fat in the blood, boop, they just go in there. That you just like two, like you put two drops of oil on a plate, they'll slowly come together and join. There is no mediation required, no receptor, no hormone, no magic, no fairies, no sprinkle dust, nobody riding a unicorn. Fat goes into fat like it's fucking the same thing because it's the same thing. God damn it. I just had a small stroke. I did. (laughs) It's, it's insanity, okay? So, yes, can you eat bunches of fat and metabolize it? Yes, you can. But here's the chain of events. You eat a bolus of oh, – actually, let me, let me do it this way. There's a different scenario. This is actually – I had a, a college professor use this exact scenario, so I'm just completely stealing his material, but it works. Think of the metabolism as a pair of pants, and there's a number of pockets in the pants. Glucose, carbohydrate metabolism, is like wearing cargo pants. You have a lot of pockets. You eat glucose, it can be burned for energy immediately. That's one pocket. It can be stored in the liver. That's another pocket. It can be stored in muscles. That's another pocket. It can be stored in the blood, blood sugar. That's another pocket. So you've got all of these various places that the body can run and hide or store glucose okay now if you think about protein metabolism it's pants with much less pockets because basically the only place it could be is burn as fuel immediately which is actually very small mm-hmm. a very small component stored in the blood and basically you're out of options you know because growth is a very low background environment that always takes place and that protein comes from the free amino acid pool It doesn't actually come from, you know, like there's nobody waiting at the neck. Like, oh, there'll be protein any minute. And it (laughs) grabs it and runs off. You know, it doesn't work that way. So, you know, you're basically down to just two kind of minor options. Now, fat. You consume fat above momentary need, which is the, the fat in the fucking air. It's nothing. Okay. Where's the body go with it? You don't store it in your liver. You don't store it in your muscles. You better not store it in your blood. That's called high triglycerides. It'll eventually kill you. Um, you know, you don't store it in your feet. You don't store it. You know where you store it? Your ass. Your fat ass. <laughs> fat gets stored in fat. There you are. One pocket. Fat goes to fat. That's it. Now, eat, and the funny part is, even if you were clinically and acutely starving, you were dying, and somebody gave you a stick of butter, of that stick of butter gets stored as fat and then is re-liberated as the body's able to use it. It's like being paid by a check. You can't take your paycheck and run down to the local mart and buy anything. Actually, you can in a modern world, but historically (laughs) you couldn't do that. Um, You know, you had to take the bank check to the bank 
wait for your money, then go buy the shit you want. That's how fat works, and that's how it's supposed to work in nature. The first move with fat is always stored as fat. Again, like, you know, I was going to say with all due difference, but fuck him. (laughs) You know, Dave Palumbo and all these goofy, you know, fat gurus, they just made this shit up. It's just fantasy. They didn't pay attention in seventh grade biology, and they've either not been paying attention since or they've intentionally been lying to you. I don't know which, but there is no other accurate answer. There just isn't. Do ketogenics and low-carbohydrate diets have validity under conditions? Yeah, you got Parkinson's, you got dementia, you got – there's all kinds of reasons why you can dream it up. But there's also all kinds of reasons why you might want to take poison. Like if you have cancer or fucking thyroid disorder or all sorts of things, you know, you're in nuclear fallout. There's a lot of reasons to take some bizarre shit that isn't good for the rest of us. That's not an argument. That's just not. Mm Mm-hmm. No. So that's, you know, that's basically the situation. Fat is always stored as fat. And by and large, that logic alone suggests that minimizing it under all conditions is ideal. Now, not only with your glucose volumes covered, so your energy surplus is covered and fat becomes measurably less relevant. Now, you do have a scenario where intentionally this high carbohydrate load it's causing a high insulin load to get all this cool carbohydrates and amino acids and yep. other stuff into the cell. Now, because you have that heightened cellular transport, additional fat becomes doubly dangerous to your, to your goals because now it can be stored even more readily. So in a way it creates its own problem, but it's only a problem because there's extra fat there anyway. In an ideal scenario, you bring your fat volumes down to one gram per kilogram or lower. And I say or lower with a little rabbit ears because you really have to be a meticulous asshole to consume less than one gram of fat per kilogram. I mean, Mike Isertel and a number of people I coach do it, but they're not normal and they're not eating normal foods you know, and they're spending abnormal dollars or whatever currency to, to accomplish that. If you live on regular foods in a regular house with a regular lifestyle and you minimize fat, you're going to get about a gram per kilogram. I mean, I eat a kilogram of meat a day and that brings that much fat. Like I'm not allowed to have any butter or oil or anything because just my protein load brings my fat load. Yeah. Which, interestingly, is probably exactly how nature intended it to work. Where does fat come from? Mm, Animals. So if you eat the proper amount of animals, you actually get the proper amount of fat. That is the kind of simplicity that only nature can supply. (laughs) Again, I know I sound almost raving, but it's shamefully apparent it's shamefully obvious, and when you take away all the dollar signs and potential commercialism, you're just left with that. If you eat lean meats, you get enough protein, and strangely, they come with exactly the right amount of fats. All you have left is green vegetables and the starch of your choice, and go about your fucking day. That's it. That's it. I, I, I wish I could make it clever and find some way to, you know, we, we spoke briefly off camera about my, you know, 
my 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 you know financial incompetency if if it, or whatever word is proper. I, I wish there was a way to sell honesty, but the reality <laughs> is it's not marketable. No one wants to hear that. No one wants to hear, hey, you're a fat fuck. You eat too much fat. Move on. You know, I mean, literally, that's what my office would be like. Just a parade <laughs> of people. Yep, you're fat. Stop eating. Move on. You know, oh, get, you know, I mean, that, how, how much money are you going to make with that? People are going to come to see you once. And <laughs> no, I, I love everything you're saying here, and it does make very good sense. And a question I know people are going to be thinking in their heads, they're like, right, Broderick's talked about one gram per kilo is like the marker for fat intake if you're trying to do this high carb, um, lower fat mass. How low can we go when we are talking about Mike and things? And I personally yes. have been going lower. Um, how low do you think we can go? And then um, are there any imp implications to that? Because you are now going lower and we do need some essential fats um, yes. for some, like it's a small amount. But yeah, just talk about yeah. that if you could. The the truth is it is a very small amount. Um, and Tom Platt, a uh, great bodybuilder, has a number of videos where he just offhandedly said, you know, preparing for the Olympia, he consistently shot for a target of 10 grams per day. Wow. Two grams, two grams per meal. Um, now, I you know, know the man personally, and I, I, I knew him even in that era, and he did eat odd food choices. I mean, lived literally on Pop-Tarts, white rice, and fruit salad, uh, which he was <laughs> – not normal by any stretch, but <clears throat> it does accomplish that goal. Now, keep in mind, someone like him, someone like me, many others are taking hormones exogenously. So noticing or not noticing a downregulation in production of sex hormones via cholesterol and those sorts of things wouldn't show up. So the, 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 the problem is basically overridden by the already existing lifestyle. The problem is the things that fat is actually used for will begin to, like any system, shut down as the raw material becomes more and more scarce. As far as the exact number, science hasn't really honed in on it. I could tell you through my experience that about 0.5 grams per kilogram is the ballpark for where I get concerned you might start seeing those problems. Do I always know? But that's the number where anything above that, I, I, I have no, I have no worries. Unless you're the one outlying asshole, which always exists. But in yeah. general, 0.5, I don't sweat. 0.4, I go, ooh, how do you feel? How do you look? You know, you know, that, you know, uh, and you know, and and the, even there, there's some gray area. Like people tell me, like, hey, my sex drive's a little down, and I'm like, is that because you're fucking hungry and you'd rather, rather fantasize about, you know, Arby's than yeah. women, you know, I, there's, you know, I, and again, I'm not trying to make light of it, but I'm saying that you're getting into such a unique area of reality that it, it's very hard to use any pre-existing science because pre-existing science just doesn't even care about that. You know, most of the world, they're worried about trying to solve hunger, not what will self and hunger do to you mm -hmm. like that that's really not the concern at large um so again my offhanded remark would be roughly anything about 0.5 grams per kilogram i wouldn't sweat it especially if you're being an athlete and you're eating decent foods mm -hmm. if you were getting your 0.5 grams per kilogram from fast food french fries 
I might say, mm, okay, that could be a problem. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if it's coming from beef and fish and, you know, avocado, I, I'm sure you're fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Eggs, you know, yeah. from personal experience doing it, I think um, I keep mine to about 0.3 per pound. So that's roughly the same. It's a little bit more. Right, so, right. Um, that's right in there. It really adds up, even from like oats. You get, you're like oats have a lot of. <laughs> they're not high fat. They're a low fat food. But when you eat a lot of oats, it adds up. Well, and, and that's like the this. point. Is again, people for you know, people in our demographic forget that the volumes, the magnitudes of everything are so much bigger. You know, the the average person, the the average American diet is supposed to be twenty two hundred calories. I eat that before I put pants on. <laughs> like I, I'm not joking. I do. Like they. You know, they're just completely off the scale. <laughs> yeah, it's absurd. So, no, that's that, that's brilliant. And actually, I think it leads into our next part in which I had the question, um, in terms of kind of, especially, I guess, in this scenario, the carb and fat combining. Um, I think a lot of our listeners, just like they might have thought that equating protein and calories when in a calorie surplus would all things being equal, I mean, wouldn't make a difference. And now we're learning it may well they might think that um, it's just a complete myth. If you consume your carbs and fats in one meal, there's no need to separate them. Um, But I believe you had a kind of thought process behind this in that maybe there's some efficacy to having some meals that are more fat-focused, more carb-focused, or I'll I'll let you kind of talk on this subject. Um, Honestly, there's, there's actually a whole bunch of misconceptions there. The, the first answer is at the end of the day, okay, the end of the day is kind of the ledger book moment. Yeah. When your activity is done and your food consuming is done, there's a ledger. There's a grand you know, ledger that you put this much in, you took this much out, and you're left with a figure. Calories in, calories out, literally. That's the overriding answer. Everything else, as far as what time did you spend and what time did you make money, doesn't really affect that bottom line much in general. So let's be completely honest and fair about that. The truth is, in a big picture, over time, action over time, not much of a difference. The difference is small. Now, again, the more carbohydrates you're eating, the bigger the insulin response and the more skewed those behaviors are going to become. If you're right in the middle of the bell curve, normal muscle mass, normal everything, normal calorie intake, it just doesn't matter. There's no difference. We we as scientists have looked for it, wanted to find it, not found it. You know, the, 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 the Mediterranean diet, the, the, the Southeast Asian diet, the, all the, the, it all comes down to calories because it's, Normal foods, normal people. Unfortunately, you just get normal answers. That's the answer, okay? For instance, again, it's a goofy analogy, but it's, again, completely accurate. Sir Isaac Newton worked out the mathematics for gravity. What most people fail to realize is he was actually wrong. It took until 1905 for Albert Einstein to correct those equations. The reason Newton was wrong is it never ever occurred to him that something could go so fast that it would skew the fundamental mathematics of how something behaves. 
which is what relativity is. Mm -hmm. If you actually approach the speed of light, the nature of reality begins to change. You get heavier, all kinds of weird shit happens. But it's just, again, it was not discovered simply because no one gave a fuck. It just wasn't something you thought about in the 1600s. The fastest thing on earth was a horse. Like no one considered that you might go 186,000 miles a second. Same thing here. Normal bell curve, normal carbohydrate consumption, normal everything. There's just no differences. It's the basic Newtonian mechanics. There's no difference. But if you get into wildly exaggerated carbohydrate loads, you get wildly exaggerated insulin responses. You're now into the relativistic responses where one gram of fat behaves like 20. Right. There, you know, but again, it's an incredibly specialized moment pocket in time and space. So it, it, it is real, but it's, and again, it's one of those things where it's even only relevant to the really, really exaggerated. Like the average natural bodybuilder, again, they're bigger than regular people, but they're not 300 pounds. They're, 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 they're 20 or 30 pounds heavier than the average person. So the difference is still very small. It's the difference between traveling at horseback and an automobile, which is big, but not to relativity. You know, you got to get in a rocket to get those kinds of results. And now, coincidentally, we're at a moment in technology where we have rockets. Mm -hmm. And when they do equations to send shit to the moon, they actually have to factor in those radical velocities or things aren't where they expect them to be. It's, it's real. When we put satellites in space, they actually calculate velocities with relativistic values. Same thing here. I'm that guy. I calculate diets with relativistic values. They don't behave like everyone else's diet because of the magnitudes. But again, for regular people, it just doesn't matter. So it's kind of like I'm almost arguing against myself. To set to my my answer is it really doesn't matter unless you're really pushing the top end, mm-hmm. and then the matter is not that big, but it's there. And that and unfortunately that's it. No, I I, I like that, and um, I mean that's really it's nice because if you were one of these people that were trying to push like a dogmatic, if this was your thing, <laughs> then you might be like, no, it makes a huge difference. You shouldn't do this, but you're being very honest about it which is great um and so when we are talking about kind of how would you go about setting up like how do you do it yourself like is there do you try and separate these two uh, macronutrients or yeah how do you go about it or is it because fat's so low if you spread well, it through the day not only that but much like i talked about where if you just eat the right amount of flesh you get the right amount of fat interestingly i also find that if you design your day plan, which I'm very big on, by the way, day plans, you know, stru- you know, I, I'm, a lot of times with clients, I tell them, write down everything you do in a day, roughly bullet pointed, you know, on a you know, journal sheet, whatever, you know, literally buy a day plan and fill it in, you know, just, you know, and bring it to me because then I can use that as a template. If these are the events that need to happen, I can now design around if the workout's going to be at 12 noon, certain things need to happen before and certain things need to happen after, and we can put them in, and it begins to literally like writing an outline for an article. If you do the outline well enough, the fucking article's written. You just have to put in punctuation and some cool words, and it's done. 
that's what I do, literally. I don't want to downsell my my abilities, but that's literally what I do. I take your day plan and I go, all right, if workout's going to be here, carbohydrates need to be here. Well, if this meal's rich in carbohydrates, one, we're going to have an elevation in insulin, so maybe that's not the time for fat. And two, we also want relatively rapid absorption because they need to be available for this workout here. So again, that's another reason for no fat. So all of a sudden it becomes blatant that that's the place to remove the fat. And then we'll take that little bit of fat and put it up here. And strangely put it up here usually means breakfast and breakfast. It's easy to get a little additional fat because breakfast foods happen to be the bigger bolus of fat. Like, you know, you know, the lean beef versus eggs, you're going to a little more fat and eggs. So now it's good. Now I can add a piece of sausage to breakfast. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. It looks like breakfast now. And all of this stuff basically takes care of itself if you apply necessity and logic in conjunction with high quality foods. The plan writes itself, the mm-hmm. answers are apparent. They literally fall out of the ether. Again, Newton didn't create gravity, he simply wrote an equation that explained gravity. That's all I do. I didn't create the way the body deals with glucose. I just write an equation that makes it applicable. Nothing mm-hmm. else. Nothing more. <laughs> no, that's great. And I think um, a lot of the listeners will already be aware of kind of the, necess- the, the fact that fat slows down digestion. And so having fat away from workouts is potentially a good idea because you're trying to get nutrients into the body. So the fact that they're already doing that, they're probably already getting a lot of the kind of or, or not getting the, the bad side of potentially putting the two together. Um, I certainly, yeah, I end up putting fats towards kind of the my last meal of the day when I've almost having a salad with fats and meat and that's about what I'm getting. <laughs> it's fine. Um, so I, I, did you want to touch on anything else on that topic? Well, no, no, I think, I, I mean, I mean, I could blather on about it forever, but I think the fundamentals are pretty obvious. I mean, glucose is the preferred fuel. It's cheaper and easier. And I did say cheaper and we'll come back to that. Keep in mind, you know, when you go grocery shopping, you know, fats and proteins, I mean, just from an economic and logistic point of view, there's a huge logic and necessity in minimizing the overconsumption of those things simply because they cost three and four and five times more. I mean, lean beef is pounds per pound, dollars per pound. It's, you know, in the U S I mean, decent lean ground beef is $5 a pound. What's oatmeal cost dollar a pound, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of a high tier, you know, white rice costs. I don't know. I buy white rice and 50, uh, uh, 50 pound bags, you know, and I, I mean, it cost me like, I don't know, like $12. Like it's, it's just nothing. Like, I don't know how Asia stays in business because there's no money in rice. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, you know, so on, on a, on an econ, on top of a biochemical and a biological point of view on an economical level, it makes sense to consume the surplus of your calories from the cheapest and coincidentally also most shelf stable substrate. Meat has a distinct shelf life. Rice does not. Oats do not. Like you keep them dry, they'll last for, I don't know, ever. (laughs) I'm absolutely, I mean, the listeners are going to be like, the oat love here is, oat love, sorry, the carbohydrate love um, is unreal. So yeah, all the, I think you need a t-shirt product with I love carbs on it. That has to be done. (laughs) (sighs) 
Um, but we do have a final um, question, um, which is, and we've spoken about it briefly before, and I think it's a good point to end on, is kind of a lot of people who might be doing this higher carb, lower fat mass will then have that on training days, but their rest days, because they, they feel like they don't need those carbohydrates to fuel their training, and they actually try and have low carb, high fat on their rest days, in attempt to almost make themselves more insulin sensitive on their training days so they get like they counterbalance maybe some of the negatives that build up over time with high carb intake um i know you've got some thoughts on this broderick so i'll put this across to you i'm breathing i'm breathing <laughs> I'm, I'm not gonna go crazy I'm not gonna lose my shit <clears throat> i'm breathing <clears throat> um well that's uh just wrong and asinine in every conceivable way probably even in ways I've not thought about. Um, I, if I actually put my mind to it, I'd probably slip into a coma and start drooling. Um, no, there's, there's no part of that that's valid in any way, shape, or form. Um, biological conditions take an enormous amount of time to achieve. In the wild, in the savanna in Africa, there's a, you know, a, a lion looking for food. It doesn't become starving in one day. It takes weeks and weeks and weeks of inroad and information. And that information is you're not getting nutrition. And so the state that is starvation sets on very, very slow. And keep in mind, starvation is an incredibly extreme state. You know, it's life-threatening. It's one of the more relevant biological factors. Starvation's kind of fucking poignant. Um, it ends in death. And it takes a very long time to set in. And coincidentally, it takes nearly as long to recede. If that lion makes a kill or stumbles on a kill and gorges itself, it doesn't wake up the next morning whistling and I'm not starving anymore. No, all the conditions of starvation are still in play save one feeding. So the next day, it's simultaneously well-fed and starving. But in relative weight, the starving has far more weight behind it in terms of magnitude and duration than the well-fed. The well-fed recedes in a matter of 12 hours or something, depending mm -hmm. on the creature and, the, you know, it's proximal state regardless. Eventually, that stomach and intestinal tract and what have you will empty. It's back to starving. Maybe not the same radical starvation, but it's still above the starving threshold. Now, if it continues to find kills each time, the levels get closer and closer and closer until it's no longer starving. And then maybe it even gets into surplus. And that's real. Mm -hmm. But my point is, it's a very long term, in terms of human thinking, you know, in terms of human thinking. It's a long-term process. In the wild, in nature, it took humans an entire season of spring, summer, fall to accrue enough fat to survive winter. They didn't get fat in a day. They didn't get overfed in one day. They took an entire season. Yeah. And then coincidentally, it took an entire winter to get to starving and start the cycle again. So this idea that you're going to cure any condition in one meal or one day or even one week is asinine. It violates 
every single thing you should have learned in seventh grade biology, much less, you know, actual university learning, like literally like what they taught you, you know, right after the leg bones connected to the foot bone song is that this shit takes time. Nothing. You don't die of any, I mean, short of a heart attack or a gunshot wound, you don't die of anything quickly. Not nothing. Like think up the worst thing. Like you have fucking some kind of horrible cancer. It's still, there's a timeline. You don't cure or die of anything immediately. Mm -hmm. Like you you just don't, I'm sorry. There you go. That's all you need to know. This idea that you're going to fix anything in a day is just asinine. And even in the equation of, again, weight over time, if you eating a high carbohydrate meal for five days a week and a low carbohydrate for two days a week, again, weigh them out. Which one's more, which one has greater volition? Yeah. Greater validity. It's not, there's no argument there. Mm -hmm. And as a fact, they're probably shooting themselves in the foot in a way that they're not even aware of. Again, you eat a reasonably high carbohydrate diet. Changes take place over time that makes that a very pro-carbohydrate, pro-insulin environment. As you eat more carbohydrates, you get more insulin. Well, it's not as simple as that. There are second and third and tertiary tiers to that chain of hormonal events. One of them is something called insulin binding proteins. So you get a vast reservoir of insulin binding proteins, which do just what they sound like they do, bind to insulin. So now you actually have a reservoir of insulin in your blood all the time, even when you're not eating carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. Because your body knows that the order of events here has been lots and lots of carbohydrates. So why don't we get ahead of this thing? Yeah. So they're there. So now the next day, you don't eat the carbohydrates. Your body doesn't even fucking notice or miss a beat. There's still this big reservoir of insulin trickling into your blood. Now you dump a bunch of fat in there and woo, we talked about <laughs> what happens to fat. That goes to your big, dumb, fat ass. It's simple. There's no mystery. There's no magic. Uh, I mean, I, I, again, I don't mean disrespect to you or your listeners, but I literally feel like I should be teaching the seventh grade. I really feel like one of those just creepy, borderline pedophile seventh grade science teachers. I, I just, it's, I just don't, I feel dirty almost because it's just making connections in my mind that I don't want. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I like, uh, although you feel that way, you will be all simultaneously blowing thousands potentially of listeners' minds when it's just a thought thing where, okay, you're not training, so your carbs come down, fats come up to make the difference. Whereas now we're explaining this is just not probably an ideal scenario. Well, not only that, again, it's, it's even more obvious and sinister than that. <sighs> I think of growing muscles or developing an athletic trait, whether it's the ability to juggle or run fast or do a headstand or fucking bench press 500 pounds. Your, your, your training for a, a trait is very much like training a puppy. You can do really good job training that puppy for a whole week. You miss one day, it reverts to zero and forgets what you taught it. 
consistency of information is what that little animal absorbs. Mm-hmm. That little animal is approximately as smart as your bicep. They're very analogous. They're very similar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's consistency of information. If energy availability is doing this, you're telling the dog, don't shit on the floor, shit on the floor, don't shit on the floor, shit on the floor. No, the answer has to be consistently every day, well-timed, don't shit on the floor, don't shit on the floor, don't shit on the floor. And eventually it goes, oh, I'm not supposed to shit on the floor. Yeah. Same thing with your bicep. You want a bigger bicep. You have to constantly say, we've got this much energy and nitrogen. This is how big you're supposed to be. This is how big you're supposed to be. This is how big you're supposed to be. And then eventually the body gets the idea. We've all heard a set point. Yep. Every fat person knows what that's about. If you eat like you're supposed to be 150 kilograms and you know do no activity, eventually, guess what happens? You weigh 150 kilograms. <laughs> it comes back to a quote I love from you is action over time. It's always yeah. something that rings true to me whenever the, we talk on the podcast. The more consistently you can introduce information, consistent information to the machine, the more readily it accepts that as the accurate, normal, acceptable programming. It's that simple. Again, people use words and, and I'm a little, I'm going to go a little off target here, but I, I think it's relevant. And I think everyone could just take a moment and think about this. Words just fly out of the hole in the front of people's faces before they really have the time to cognitize what that means. It's just sound. It just shoots out of their head. People say genetics all the time. Your genetics are good, your genetics are bad, or you, you know, your genetics something. What is that? What does that mean? Like I understand that I don't even understand what that really is. Like I do, you know, adenine, guanine, like that's that shit's insanity. But if you're even mildly not down syndrome, you can cognitize that genetics means the programming you're given. That's how your thing is going to respond to the environment. That's it. That's what it is. It's the programming, just like your laptop, just like your cell phone. It's programmed that you do this, it does that. You do this, it does that. You let it alone, it does some other thing. It's programming. So, how does programming behave? You give it information and it gives you a response. That's all you need to know, folks. If you give it all kinds of random, goofy, different information every couple of days, it, it's not, you know, it's like your, you know, your, your Siri or something. If you consistently ask it a question at a certain period, of, you know, certain time of day, it'll eventually just start telling you without asking you. You programmed it or you're using the programming to your benefit. Mm-hmm. that's it that, that's how this works and it's not a coincidence because the people that design this clever computer programming actually study biology they study biological feedback loops nothing responds to the environment as well as biology so if you want a computer device to respond to the environment you emulate biology well, well how about that that's weird and uh, it, I mean, the, the listeners might not think about it in this way, but it's just, you're just talking about consistency and everyone knows, I mean, consistency, they'll have heard the phrase consistency is king. Um, and it's just a relay of that. 
but they'll consistently think of goofy <laughs> reasons why it's a bad idea and not do it. No, definitely. I mean, that's the, that's the part that's insanity. Literally, by definition, yeah. it's insanity. You know that consistent good behaviors consistently make good results, but then you consistently dream up reasons to deviate from that paradigm. No, yeah. great. Um, I think we'll wrap up there, um, but I think we'll get a bunch of questions potentially come through. Um, hate mail. <laughs> hate mail, potentially. Um, we're direct all to you, Broderick. So, um, or wait, love mail for those who love the carbs. Um, so yeah, if you do have questions, guys, please post them in the YouTube comments or over in our Facebook group would be ideal because I mean, I plan to get Broderick back on a number of times this year. Um, I think he's one of our favorite guests. So um, it's always fun having you come and run on the on the show, Broderick. So um, if you'll do, do us a pleasure and come back on, that'd be brilliant. I'd be happy to, although I have to start practicing my breathing I have to... <laughs> take nah, up kidding. some yoga <laughs> yeah that's 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 definitely not my attitude i actually made it through this entire hour podcast without my coffee cup oh. so um it, it, that added itself a bit out of character <laughs> right thank you guys for listening thank you again broderick for coming on and we'll catch you guys soon